Good morning. I want to follow up on what uh, Michael said uh, about home church and how important it is. Um, home church uh, here at Fellowship is where application takes place. Um, you can come and listen to my messages on Sunday morning and be well-informed, but change may not happen unless there's actually a group that knows you where you can talk about the message and how it applies to life. And so I want to encourage you. Home church is, is it's that place of application. Uh, you have to show up and not just know the information, but, but be ready to talk about what does this mean in our lives and in your context, often in a, a group of people who are in your same season of life. And so I want to uh, just encourage you. Home church is really important. Um, I also want to uh, say a thank you to everybody here at the church. Uh, for the last 12 years, uh, many of you know, we've been taking care of my mom after my dad passed away. And uh, this past Tuesday morning, early in the morning, my mom passed away. And uh, it's a, a great, great uh, opportunity to praise the Lord because she is now in his presence. Uh, but over this past 12 years, you guys have prayed for us through a lot of different seasons. Uh, when we brought my mom here from Alabama, she came kicking and screaming. And many of you prayed that she wouldn't break out of Brookdale over here when we were constructing the building and grab a forklift and drive back to Alabama. So thank you for all those covering times in prayer. Um, a lot of different challenges along the way. Eventually, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, her particular expression of Alzheimer's was not, not rec recognizing who I was, but there were more than one of me. So she would ask me questions like, does the other Kenny have my credit cards too? That's a hard question to answer. Um, and you guys prayed with us through all of that. And just uh, recently, as uh, her health has really declined, we've been praying that the Lord would go ahead and take her home. And some of you have joined us in that prayer. And that really is the, the right thing. She, um, The world she was living in was, was not a good world. It was confusing and troubling for her. And we are so grateful that she is now in the presence of our Savior uh, she's with my dad. She's with our son, Jordan. And finally, after three years, I hope she's able to give her mother a sweater that she's been asking me to give her mother for years now. So I'm hoping her, mo her mom is warm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you for praying for us. Uh, we will have a, a, a time eventually when our family gets together at the National Cemetery uh, in Alabama to uh, put her to rest beside my dad. So uh, thank you for, for praying for us. As I was driving to church this morning, um, the rain was pouring down, and I was thinking, this is the perfect day for a message on lamentations. <laughs> Boy, it's such a dark, foreboding book. Um, uh, it's a little bit shorter than some of the books I've been doing recently, so um, I actually had the time this week to... Wash, you're back here a second time. Thanks, man. Wash was up here first hour, and now he's back there in the... In the back. I'm so glad to see you. You didn't get it the first time. I, I gotta stop. Okay, okay. Um, but I had enough time to, to translate through uh, the book from Hebrew, and, and it was just amazing to me as I, I translated through how, how stark this book is. Um, there, there's a phrase in, in order to say not in Hebrew, it's low, and the word kind of sticks out when you're translating through it. And, and, and sometimes it'll say no comfort, but sometimes it'll say comfort, no. Um, and so it kind of pops off the page. And I, and I started keeping track. I'll, you'll see this in a little bit. But here are some of the things that I just started write, writing on a note card. No comfort, no pity, no relief, no voice, no peace, no fear, no help, um, no relief, no response, and no joy. 
Welcome to Lamentations. Um, this is an intensely um, uh, pointed book that tells us this. Sin is serious. And there are a lot of people who take a look at this book, and what they do is they, they move quickly to, there's one little section in chapter 3 that's kind of nice and cheery and hopeful, and they skip all of the rest of the book, and they just go to this one section that's hopeful. I'm sorry, I'm not doing that. I got five chapters here that tell us that sin is serious, and, and we're going to take a look at it. Uh, let me remind you what the prophets do. The prophets um, are outsiders to the community. Um, they don't fit. No one wanted this job because their, their message is to be covenant enforcers. They are basically saying this. You made a covenant with God and you're failing. You're not being faithful to the covenant. But they're also saying, but God has made a covenant and he said he will discipline you and he is being faithful. He's going to discipline you. The message of the prophets is to, to really critique the culture and as they enforce the covenant to show where they have failed and they are hoping to lead that to grief. And that's this book. This book is, is leading them to grief over their sin and the consequences that God has given for their sin. Now, there is a little bit of hope in this, in this book. It's that one little section. We'll get there. There's a little bit of hope. But the whole complex is to say, trust God in this. He is your only hope. Because on your own, you deserve the consequences of sin that you're getting. It is a, a book that is serious about sin. Um, it, it, it's probably written by Jeremiah, and I'm going to kind of vacillate back and forth because we don't know for sure that it's written by Jeremiah, probably, but it's intentionally anonymous so that we could be the people who kind of join in. And it's, it, it, it prevents us from saying, yeah, that's how he felt, but it invites us to say, how do we feel? Do we take our own sin seriously? And it is a book of lament. The whole book is lament. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, but I want to take an opportunity to remind you. Um, last week, I placed on the website a link to this message by Christy Allen about tears and the mission of God. And it's about lamenting and mourning and grieving. And, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I encourage you, please go listen to it. She says a couple of things that I think are really helpful. Tears are never wasted. There's a verse in the Psalms that says, God collects our tears. Um, mourning, lamenting, taking sin seriously and crying over it and its consequences, that's never a waste of time. Uh, she also makes this st statement at the end. Lamenting is a burden lifter and a joy infuser. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning is a productive thing in our life. Lamenting is productive. And I know we want to avoid it. Um, a message on lamentations is not a joyful message. But it's an important message because it reminds us how serious sin is and the consequences of sin and that God takes our sins seriously. I've got a couple of uh, resources out at the Connection Center and online. Um, the first one by Walt Kaiser is really a focus on why there's a whole book on, on lament. Um, why, why do we have this whole book? Because it's real easy to just go, hey, let's just hit the high points and God is faithful. Yay! Why do we have a whole book that's lament? And he talks about that, that there's an idea of the completeness of the lament here. Then a very important article 
um, by Dan Estes, in which he's talking about both the Lament Psalms and the Book of Lamentations. And, and he, he builds this case that the laments turn into praise not because God shows up and delivers, but because of his character. And I think we, we misunderstand sometimes. If we'll lament, maybe God will show up. Um, if, I, if I'll repent, maybe there'll be no consequences. And then I can praise him. Um, that's not the case. Here's what happens. Things are bad, but God's character is good, so I can praise him no matter what happens. Whether he delivers or not. Whether the, the judgment still comes or not, I can praise him because of his character, not because he bails me out. And I think that's an important part for us to realize. The, the book of Lamentations is about people who were not bailed out. They suffered the consequences of their sin. Um, Lamentations is one of the um, pre-exilic prophets. Jeremiah was a pre-exilic prophet. Um, but it's after his ministry and his message where he was saying, as I highlighted last week, judgment is coming, and then judgment does come in the form of the Babylonians. That judgment comes, and after the judgment comes, he writes the book of Lamentations kind of as a bridge almost between the pre-exilic and the exilic prophets because they have gone into exile. It's this moving into exile that has prompted them to lament. So this five-chapter book... Um, is an important book. And I'm going to really focus on what this book says, and that is sin is serious and there are consequences. Bruce Wilkinson summarizes it this way. Lamentations, perhaps the saddest book of the Old Testament, is penned by the morning prophet Jeremiah after the fall of Jerusalem. In five dirges of death, Jeremiah expresses the horror and helplessness of seeing the Jews' proudest city reduced to rubble, defeat, slaughter, and ruination. The horrors so long promised and so frequently ignored now fall from the hands of the brutal Babylonians. This has already happened. And yet, even as the prophet's heart breaks, he pauses to proclaim a ringing testimony of deep faith in the goodness and mercy of God. Though the present is bleak with judgment, the future sparkles with the promise of renewal and restoration, a promise as certain as the dawn. Indeed, great is your faithfulness. That first, great is your faithfulness, in the middle of the book, in chapter 3, is a book everyone likes to quote. It's a small portion. Um, as I highlighted through uh, my Bible and as I was reading through this and um, putting different highlights down, and, and um, I, I was using green for all of the bad stuff, um, like, I'm just looking at the first page here. Deserted, slave, weeps, tears, betrayed, enemies, affliction, labor, exile, distress, mourning, desolate, groan, grieve, bitter anguish, grief, exile, captive, departed. That's one column in my Bible of the green bad words. Um, there are a few good words often in the contrast. But what I did is I, I, I wanted to wait until I saw this, this shining part where God would show up. I've only got one small little section. <laughs> The rest of it is a lot of green highlights of just judgment and distress. Every now and then there's a section where there's a little bit of a turn and a cry of, yeah, we're guilty, Lord. But mostly it's just this judgment is coming down on us. Gary Smith says this, these lamentations over the destruction of Judah were caused by the people's sin. 
So God was righteous in bringing this judgment on them. They did not make excuses about why this happened. Their evil actions made God their enemy and the destroyer of his own temple. Just what the false prophet said would never happen. In Jeremiah, it's going to happen again in Ezekiel, the false prophets came and said, it's not going to be that bad. You're not going to be in exile 70 years. It'll just be a couple years, then you get to go home. God's really not going to do all these bad things. Um, And the book of Lamentations said, no, not only is he going to, he did. God took their sin very seriously. Then the people cried out to God for mercy because in his love, he did not completely destroy him, destroy them. Indeed, God was compassionate, faithful, and good. Now his people indeed need to wait for his salvation for it did no good to complain. They were in the middle of the discipline and they just had to wait until it was over. Even if they were complaining and confessing and repenting, they had to take their lumps. And that's what's happening in this book. So we're going to move through this book. It's, it's, a, it's a beautifully arranged book. In the midst of all of the darkness and the distress and the harshness of this book, literally every now and then in the margin of my Bible, I've just written, wow. Just because of just the things that are happening here. But it is beautifully arranged. I'm going to show that to you. Um, I'm going to put together when and how it fits in particularly. But the arrangement and the anonymous nature of it opens it up for us to say, yeah, like us. Not just locating it just on Jeremiah. Uh, Who composed Lamentations? Although unnamed, it's likely that Jeremiah or one of his um, students composed the book of Lamentations sometime after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., The book is anonymous in order to allow it to be used as a pattern for grief, repentance, and hope. So often we we skip over the first two. All we want is patterns for hope. Jesus is good. He's going to be fine. Uh, Jesus makes everything better. This book says, no, there's a long process of grief over your sin, repentance, turning back to God. And then because of the character of God, not because you got your act together, you can have hope. Um, the audience, the original audience of Lamentations were Jews living either in exile in Babylon or back under the, in, in the land under the Babylonian d- dominance. Um, when, when the Babylonians took the southern kingdom captive, um, in three different waves, they deported a number of people. I'll show that to you in just a minute. But some of the people stayed behind for both groups, the ones who had been deported to Babylon and the ones who were back in Israel. This book is written to them. They were witnesses of the judgment that fell on Judah, Jerusalem, and especially the temple. And they needed to be reminded that the Lord was just, he was faithful, and they should have hope. They deserved what they got because God was faithful. But God's not just faithful to judge, he's faithful to eventually deliver. And so they can have hope. The way I'm going to say it is because God doesn't give up on his people or his plan. Sometimes his plan involves discipline. Um, how all this fits together, this audience, I, I used this last week. Um, basically, the Assyrians were the dominant power in the Middle East um, for a long time. Uh, they are going to eventually come down to the northern kingdom of Israel, sometimes called Ephraim because that's the largest tribe of the 12 tribes, sometimes called Samaria because that's the capital. But the Assyrians are going to come down, and in 722, they are going to scatter 
um, the nation and, and basically just obliterate them. What they're going to do is they're going to take them away because the, the inhabitants of the northern kingdom of Israel are going to be taken and scattered to other nations that the Assyrians had conquered. And then some of those nations are going to be brought into the northern kingdom and settled there so that there could be no um, bringing back together a coalition of people who would rise up against this, the Assyrians. That was their, their foreign policy. So the northern kingdom goes away. Eventually, the Babylonians rise in power, and in 612 B.C. at the Battle of Carchemish, uh, the Babylonians push out the Assyrians, and now they're the dominant world power. Um, The Babylonians are always battling the Egyptians, and so on their way, they're going to come to Jerusalem, and in in three different waves, they're going to conquer the nation. In 605, and this sets us up for the next two weeks, by the way, in 605, they're going to come by... And on their way back home, they're going to pick up 10,000 exiles, including Daniel, who we're going to hear about in a couple of weeks. 598 is where they come by and they pick up Ezekiel. We're going to hear about him next week. But eventually, in 586, they're going to, on their way back, say, we're tired of on our way down to fight with the Egyptians. We're tired of having to deal with these uh, Jews. And so they go to Jerusalem and they wipe out the city. They build siege ramps, they invade the city, they burn it to the ground, they burn the temple, they pillage, um, and completely dominate and destroy the city. That's what has happened. It's what Jeremiah said would happen. Jeremiah saw it happen. And now in this book, they're lamenting this has happened. That's what's going on in this book. So it's clear that Lamentations follows the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586. Exactly how long after is not clear. It's during this Babylonian captivity between 586 and 538 when they go back under Ezra, Nehemiah, and uh, Zerubbabel. Um, But the hope that is expressed in chapter 3, that's the one place where there's some hope, is in an individual hope. It's not a national hope. It's not like, oh, he's not giving up on us as a nation. Whoever's whoever's expressing this hope, it's more like, I'm going to be saved. God, can you just save me? Um, And it makes sense to see the book written before 561 when Ewell Meriduk, king of Babylon, you'll see him when we get to Daniel, um, released Jehoiachin from prison. Because after Jehoiachin is released from prison in 561, there's a little bit of national hope. It's almost like, oh, there's a king still alive. Well, he's not thinking about national hope. It's just individual hope. So it's probably sometime between 586 and 561 that this book is written. I would say probably closer to 586 right after it was put together. Why was it written? Lamentations was written to show the justice of God in bringing judgment on Jerusalem. It provides a guide for expressing grief, repentance, and trust, as well as provide a glimpse of hope that God did not give up on his people or his plan to use them to bless the world, eventually through a Savior, Jesus. Now, I'm telling you, if you read through Lamentations, you're not going to find Jesus in there much. (laughs) The only place you're going to find Jesus is God doesn't give up on his people. And eventually these people are going to be the nation through whom God will bless the world. Genesis chapter 12. And that descendant of Abraham, who's from the tribe of Judah, the kingly line of David, is going to be a king, Jesus, who will die for us. We know all of that. But that's not part of what they get in this book. All they get is God's disciplining you, but he's not giving up on you because he still needs to use you in his plan. And that's what I think we can take some hope in. So the content, how is this arranged 
it's, it's amazing. It's, it's one of the most uh, fun books, even though it's such a harsh book. Um, it's, it's just really fun to see how it's put together and, and what it says. Then the what, the what is almost just all harsh. So let me, let me put it together this way. There, there's a chiastic structure to it. Five chapters, okay, five chapters. The first and the last chapter are all about people responding to this judgment. Um, chapter two and chapter four are the judgment and chapter three in the middle, which is longer. I'll show you that in just a moment. Chapter three in the middle is the personal, um, expression of Jeremiah or whoever's, whoever's writing this book of, yes, we deserve this. And I have a little bit of hope. Um, so there's a, a real symmetry to how the book is, is arranged, but it's more complicated than that. The book is a lament. It's called Lamentations. And just like I talked about in, um, in the book of Psalms, there are laments. There are three major categories of the Psalms. There are the descriptive praise Psalms that talk about God's character, who he is. There are the declarative praise Psalms that talk about God's action, what he does. And then there's this huge group, almost a half of the Psalms, that are lament. And a lament is an agonized expression of grief and sorrow, which often leads to a, a deepened sense of repentance and trust. They, they lament and sorrow to kind of get them serious about what has really happened, and that's going to lead them to a deeper sense of repentance, repentance and trust. Danny Hayes says this, A lament is a sad, agony-filled cry of mourning, usually in poetic form. There are numerous laments in the book of Psalms where either an individual or a community cries out to God in pain and suffering. In Psalms, however, the laments almost always end with a strong affirmation that God will indeed provide deliverance or with a vow of praise to God because of his great deliverance. The laments, usually all of them except Psalm 88, end on kind of a high note. Either God's delivering or I can trust God that he will deliver. Lamentations doesn't end that way. Let me just flip over. I want to to read you the last verse of Lamentations. This is such a stark ending. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry beyond measure. End. (laughs) Lord, we'd like you to restore, but maybe you forgot us and we've stepped over a line and there's no return. That's That's how this book ends. Um, it, it doesn't end on this high note, but there is one little thing. It's in the middle, almost hidden in the middle. The book of Lamentations, by contrast, has statements of hope, but these are somewhat tentative and faint. In the Lament Psalms, the affirmations of faith in God's deliverance are central, while in the Laments of Lamentations, the cry of pain and suffering is central. So I'm not going to skip over and just give you the American, everything's a happy ending version of Lamentations. There's a little in there, but lamentation says this sin is serious. God takes it seriously and he will deal with it. And there's a whole book that says that not only is the book, um, a lament, it's arranged as an acrostic. An acrostic is an alphabetical arrangement using the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet to aid memory or to communicate completeness. Um, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and on the chart that's out there, I've got them listed all four times they're used. Um, this listing of the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet allows the expression to be full. Um, at the end of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31, 10 through 31, that section is an acrostic as well. 
And it is written to say, here's the full picture of what someone who lives out the book of Proverbs is like. If you, if you did everything Proverbs says, you'd look like this woman in chapter 31, 10 to 31. And the poem has A, B, C, D all through Z to say, this is the complete picture of it. And probably an aid to memory so that you would memorize it, both men and women, because it's really the expression of what anybody who lives the, the wise life looks like. Here, it's probably more um, the fullness of expression. It's probably more, here's our grief, A through Z, fully expressed. Now, how that happens, there's one exception I'll get to in a moment. How that happens is chapter 1, 22 verses, because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 2, 22 verses, because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3, 66 verses, 3 times 22 because what happens in chapter 3 is there are three verses for each letter. Um, I've got a portion of the verses written there. I know you can't see them, but there's the first three verses start with A-A-A. The second, verse, second three verses start with B-B-B. Um, the next three verses, I'm going to say C. It's G-G-G, really, gimel, gimel, gimel. But I'm, it's three verses start with A, three verses start with B, three verses start with C, all the way through all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It gives a full expression to it. Then in chapter 4, you go back to 22 verses, all with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. I'm going to tell you what happens in chapter 5 in just a moment. Um, when you put all this together, here, here's what it looks like. There's an acrostic poem in chapter 1, 22 verses, all letters of the Hebrew alphabet. I've got them on the chart lined up there. Um, in chapter 2, another poem. 22 verses, Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3, 66 verses, A-A-A-B-B-B-C-C-C. Chapter 4, 22 verses, all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. I don't know what happens, but in chapter 5, it's different. It's not the Hebrew letters of the alphabet, but it's 22 verses. It's the same number of verses. I don't know if he's just like, I'm tired of it. I can't keep this up anymore. Um, or if there maybe is something of him just saying, I'm returning to the chaos. I've, all this order, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. But he maintains the symmetry of the 22 verses. So this five-chapter book has 22 verses, 22 verses, 66 verses, 22 verses, 22 verses. It's amazing. And, and ABC, 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 22. It's a fantastic book. Beautifully arranged. And as I'm working through it, I notice, because it pops off the page, the first section has this repeated phrase, no comfort. No comfort from God. The second chapter, repeated, no pity. God has no pity. Um, in the middle, in the personal confession, there's no fear of God. In the next one, <laughs> there's no help from God or anybody else. And in the last one, because of that, it ends with no joy. Very un-American. Um, there's a couple checks in the room. Uh, Maddie and Lydia, where are you guys? This is your book. Man, this is your book. It ends with death. Um, when I was in uh, the Czech Republic in January, I went to see Rusalka. Rusalka is basically Little Mermaid, Except at the end, everyone's dead and crying. That's this book, okay? This is 
this, this book ends with no joy. That's how we, how we experience this. And, and as you move through that, this idea of, of no comfort, um, Nahum is this, this idea of, um, it, it, it's five times in chapter one, and Nahum is, um, it's the word for a woman's womb. Um, there's, there's no compassion, compassionate feelings. And, and whenever God has this, he shows mercy. And they're saying, there's no, there's no comfort for you. No mercy will be shown. Five times in chapter one. Three times in chapter two, you get this no pity word, kamal, lohamal. Um, Without pity, the Lord has swallowed up all the dwellings of Jacob. His wrath has torn down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought her kingdoms and its princes down to the ground in dishonor. There's no pity. And and the idea of this is there's no holding back. You're getting it all. Pity is when, okay, you're getting to, I, I take pity on you, I won't give them all to you. Chapter 3, no fear. Um, this idea of fear is, it's that the fear, the reverence of the Lord. They didn't have the reverence of the Lord. You came near on the day I called to you. You said, do not fear. They're, they're saying, don't, don't fear. <laughs> in chapter 4, there's no help. It's one of my favorite words in Hebrew, by the way. Um, the, the word is azer. Um, they looked in vain for help. A person who needs azer kind of help, they don't just need assistance. A person who needs this kind of help will die if they don't get it. The most common subject of azer dominantly in the Bible is God. God is our azer. Um, it's also the word that is used in Genesis 2.18 um, for the woman. Um, the, the woman is an azer for the man, a, a corresponding helper. Azer connecto. By the way, if you're looking for a romantic phrase, there you've got it. You're my azer connecto baby. <laughs> Try it. It doesn't work. Um, but this word azer is, is if you don't get it, you will perish. They perish because they don't get this kind of help. Um, and, and by the way, on the side, when God created men and women, he created men and women so that so that men would need women. And if they don't get the help from women, they will perish. Any honest guy will tell you absolutely true. But women, you need us men as well. And, and that's one of the reasons that marriage is between a man and a woman, because we need each other. We can't survive or flourish. There are exceptions along the way, and God gifts some people uh, differently. But God's pattern is a man and a woman because we need each other. We need azer. We need this kind of help. And at the end um, is this um, the word for joy. Um, the Hebrew word shush, it just, it has an uplifting feel. Shush. It's, it's jubilant dancing joy. Um, none of that is going on. Shush low. Joy, not in this book. No joy. Okay. So here's your five, your five things. No comfort, no pity, no fear, no help, no joy. Lamentations. Why? Because sin is serious. Here's my long sentence that tries to put it together. The intentionally anonymous author, like Jeremiah, likely Jeremiah, writing after the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonians in 586, carefully crafted five poems about judgment and destruction which had come to Jerusalem 
a symbol for the entire nation, because of a neglect of the covenant, along with confessions of sin and cries for help from the Lord while acknowledging the Lord's faithfulness in order to prompt the nation to fully grieve over their sin and the resulting judgment and to encourage the people to remember that God remains faithful to his word and that, therefore, they should turn back to him as the covenant community. This is what he's, he's saying to them. So walk you through a couple of things here. Here's chapter one, first two verses. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she once she was great among the nations. She who was a queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become like enemies. This is one of those sections where I've got green highlights there on all of the bad words. And she, she, but a, there's an orange. She was a queen. Now she's a slave. She had friends. Now they're enemies. This is, this, this is the, the change of it all. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Um, this, again, is, it's, it's this harshness that is taking place. Um, and all of chapter 1, the city of Jerusalem is personified as this woman who's been brutally mistreated. Brutally mistreated. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me, the Babylonians, to crush my young men. In his winepress, the Lord has trampled virgin daughter Judah. Crushed in the wine press. This is harsh. Um, chapter 3, l- listen to this. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made, the, made me the target of his arrows. <laughs> he dragged me out and mangled me like a bear and a lion. Thus be the word of the Lord spoken to you. This is intense. Why is it so intense? Why such an intense message of judgment? Because sin is serious. And there are consequences to sin. But there's little bits of repentance. Um, Blue was my repentance highlighter. When I went through here, every now and then there's a little bit of blue. Let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts, um, our hearts and our hands to the God of heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and, and have not forgotten. Every now and then they do. We deserve what we got, but we're turning to you. We're, we're, we're repenting. We are turning back to you. But there is a message of hope. This is that part that's the, uh, the uplifting part in chapter 3. Verses you probably have heard before, you just didn't know they were in Lamentations. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Well, those are some great verses. And I want you to hold on to them. These are really good. But they take on such new meaning in the, in the context of five huge unrelenting chapters of the seriousness of sin and yet God is still loving and compassionate and his mercies are there every morning when we get up 
I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who have hope in him, to those who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Because of who he is, I can look to him. Again, it's not because he's going to deliver. It's because of his character that we can praise him. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. It's good for you to go ahead and get your licks while you're young so you can get over it. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. Repentance. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. Take your licks. You deserve it. The sinful choices you made are going to have consequences. Because sin is serious. Um, The sequence that I just read to you in this wonderful section in Lamentations 3, it starts with the character of God. That's what turns everything. It starts with the character of God, his compassions, his mercy. And then they seek him. And after they seek him, uh, they are waiting patiently for him. Um, There is hope that he will deliver. But they wait in silence. And don't miss this. They repent. Too often, I think we say, yes, sin's serious, but God's good. Done. No, they repent. And very often, what we say is, sin's serious. God's going to do something about it. I'm going to repent so then I don't have to take the consequences. You know what? At the end of this, they still get the consequences. Why? Because sin is serious. Danny Hayes says, Lamentations is a cry of agony and suffering, but this cry is also a confession that this terrible suffering is very much deserved, a result of uh, repeated and unabated disobedience and defiance of God and rejection of his word. Lamentations is a graphically horrific first-person testimony to the real consequences of sin. The faithfulness and love of God are affirmed in Lamentations. So hope is present in the midst of suffering. Yet the book is reluctant to move too quickly to a glib, everything will be all right theology. The judgment on sin and disrespectful defiance of God cannot be passed over too quickly, for it is a serious matter that deserves plenty of contemplation. And I've forced you to contemplate it today. Sin is serious. And God will deal with it. You know where this is going to land? He dealt with it because he's gracious and he's compassionate. That doesn't mean he's not going to discipline you along the way still. But sin is serious. And God will deal with it in his people. So what do we do with this? How does this fit? Lamentations is a reminder of the consequences of sin and rebellion. Lamentations provides an outlet and a guide for true repentance. It doesn't just say, I sinned, God is good, everything will be okay. It says, I sinned, I seek God, I wait for him, my hope is in him. I turn from my sin and I will suffer the consequences that I get. Lamentations is a reminder of God's faithfulness to discipline and to forgive. If you're not being disciplined by the Lord for your sin... That's a scary place to be because God disciplines everyone he loves. Now, not ultimately because 
as we're going to remind ourselves, Christ paid the penalty for our sin. But as God is training us to be his people, he will discipline us along the way. So what do we need to believe? The Lord is wonderfully patient, fully just, and abundantly gracious. If you don't remember anything else, here's what I want you to remember from today. Sin is serious, and the Lord is wonderfully patient, fully just, and abundantly gracious. From Leviticus 26, when they entered into the covenant until they went away into captivity, 800 years. The Lord is wonderfully patient. Lamentations, he's fully just. Jesus Christ, he's abundantly gracious. The Lord will judge unbelievers and discipline believers. And the Lord will not abandon his plan or his people because he uses his people as a part of his plan. That's why God should have given up on the Jews numerous times. But he wanted to use them to bless the world by allowing them to become the nation that would have a king who would die in our place. How should we behave? Offer to God a full expression to your mourning, your grief, and sorrow. Here's a pattern that says A to Z, let God have it. But use that to drive you to repentance and embrace his grace. And never give up on yourself because God doesn't. Never give up on yourself as long as you're walking in his grace. Some next steps. Make true biblical lament an option in your life. Um, I've asked you to do this before. Write a lament of your own sin and, and the consequences you've had. Maybe foolish choices, addictions you've had along the way. Um, maybe just impulsive things you did that had great consequences. Lament over your sin. Return to any unfinished business or element of grief, mourning, repentance. Give it the full expression. Maybe you've just said, I, this, I'm so sorry, but you haven't really turned from it. In your lamentations, always make sure you finish with the Lord. Remember that he's faithful. That's why you can continually go to him. Sin is serious. Five chapters, A to Z, 1 to 22. Because sin is serious. God will deal with sin. And this is how he did it. Paul says this. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ because Jesus is our hope. I want you to remember this morning as you come down to take these elements, I want you to remember the seriousness of sin. And you may not feel like this horrible sinner. Folks, you're a sinner. (laughs) I want you to remember the seriousness of your sin and recognize how serious it is and that Christ paid all of the penalty for that sin. God's not given up on you because of Christ, not because of you. God maintains his relationship with you because of Christ. Because Christ took the penalty in your place of sin that was serious. Would you stand? I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to come take these elements. Go back to your seat. We'll take them all together. Father, um, may we really understand that you've given us a whole book that that reminds us of the seriousness of sin and, and our own um, unfaithfulness. And yet as we walk forward to take these reminders of the life and the sacrifice of Christ, 
not in a glib way, but in a way that reaches deep into our hearts. Would you remind us that the seriousness of sin was expressed in what Christ did for us in our place? We ask you to remind us that for his sake and in his name. Amen.